Good morning, Monday morning, the calm Christian here, feeling good, but vowing to remain calm, keep calm, carry on, iron sharpens iron, constant and consistent, as my mother gave me a placard that said, the race belongs not to the swift, but to he who keeps on running or the she who keeps on running. We got to include the ladies too. Arnold was the running man. Well, Arnold's not here. So I guess it has to be the calm Christian. We have to be the running man, the running people, people who keep on running. Because we have our Savior to lead us. Did y'all hear about that Jewish comedian? There's like a YouTube video and she's like Jewish. She's about 30 something years old. She's got a boyfriend. Got a pretty face though, but she's been a comedian for 10 years. So she's in a nightclub, I guess presumably in America. And she's doing her comedy bit. And all of a sudden she gets heckled. And like every good comedian, she turns the, heck, the, the heckling back on the heckler and everybody laughs. So the person who heckled her was a woman. And the woman was heckling her because the woman heckler realized that, oh, you didn't vote for, you know, the former president. So that came into, um, into play. Politics, right? Politics. Very galvanized, polarized politics in America. So she says, yeah, um, I voted for the current president. So the woman says some things. And of course, the Jewish comedian girl, you know, turns it back on the woman and everybody laughs. And I guess the audience didn't like what the heckler said and either escorted her out or, you know, uh, you know, kind of laughed her down. And then all of a sudden, this um, Jewish comedian is talking And this beer bottle flies into the wall near her head. The beer bottle missed, of course, but it exploded on the wall. And then the audience was like, oh, you can't do that, man. Like, that's wrong. And it wasn't the woman heckler that threw the bottle, but it was it was her boyfriend. So about five minutes later, the boyfriend whips this bottle at her, but it missed her, of course. Thank God that it did. It missed her by a huge margin. She didn't seem to be sprayed by the glass, but just the impact of the bottle. And I'm thinking, thank God it didn't hit her in the face. Because if it had, it wouldn't have been a good outcome for her. Right? And the the comedy club um, that brought her to do the comedy routine said they're going to press charges against the dude who threw the bottle. And afterwards, a guy, another guy on an interview show that I've never seen or heard of, um, interviews the Jewish comedian. And she's very pretty. She has a very pretty face and she's been doing it for 10 years. Like, And she was kind of funny. And she says, um, he says to her, is it harder to be a comedian these days? And she says, you know, it's harder to be everything these days. And I thought, now there's a pearl of wisdom. Isn't it harder these days? It's harder to be a man. It's harder to be a woman. It's harder to be a husband. It's harder to be a wife. It's harder to have a 
good stable marriage that lasts for a long time. It's harder to maintain your sanity and your mental health. It's harder to be healthy in this world where we got this COVID virus now flying around somewhere. It's hard to stay out of arguments about politics, certainly in America, but I guess abroad as well. Even in Canada, I've heard some very divisive um, arguments and it's not wrong to have a side one way or the other, but it's just that people can't agree disagreeably anymore. It's harder to be a kid these days. It's harder to be able to manage your time. It's harder to get kids to study their work when there's just, you can just live in virtual reality where you can be anything you want. I had battles with my son when he was here on Sundays about some of these video games. Like he could be Iron Man one week. He could be King Arthur the next week. He could be wielding a sword. Like why live in this boring reality when you can just go into a virtual reality, talk to people you've never seen and get points and get coins and be rich and have your and and have your own business like a pizza parlor that's way more exciting than doing algebra he's only in grade eight but that's way more exciting than grade eight math it's harder to get people to to go to church it's harder to depend on people to do something because you never know when they're going to be away what else You name it, it's just harder. And I'm thinking that Jewish comedian still has some wisdom, even though she's only 30 years old, she doesn't have any gray hairs. Matthew 24, 10, everyone shall be offended. Isn't that the case? Everybody's offended these days. I mean, you can say a joke or you go somewhere and comedian, you know, I've seen some comedians, they're pretty profane, but, you know, they make everybody laugh. But, you know, they're, they're kind of talking about race and things like that. Like comedians who take the divisions and actually laugh about it. Hey, they're pretty good. I listen to one guy, but he's so profane. He's so filthy. Like he's actually very funny, but just like, wow. You know, Eddie Murphy in the 1983, I think, Delirious said that, you know, another comedian called him up, Bill Cosby, and said, hey, you're, you know, you got a filthy mouth. But... Eddie Murphy compared to this guy that I was listening to on YouTube is like a saint. And Eddie Murphy was a very funny guy. I mean, 21 years old, he was on Saturday Night Live. He was doing everything in the 80s. I mean, he was King he was King Midas, the guy with the golden touch. Eddie Murphy could do no wrong in 1983. And I wonder as I read the Bible and try to make heads of this. The Bible is a book about relationships, isn't it? Relationships, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm borrowing that from a title from a Queen Eastwood movie. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Isn't it about relationships? Isn't the Bible God's story? But it's our story. But it's God's perspective about our story. Or it's our story seen through God's eyes. Or maybe it's God's story as it's seen through human eyes. The Bible never tries to prove God. God's just there. Do you know what I mean? So, it is an interesting book. And as I try to read the Bible, I try to make heads or tails of what I hear in the world. Let me go to 2 Thessalonians. I'd like to read something from 2 Thessalonians. I already quoted from Matthew 24, verse 10. 
But if I can get to 2 Thessalonians, I like to read that. And it says in the following, it says here, 2 Thessalonians 2 verses 5. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now? I don't know what him exactly what him is, so that he may be revealed in his time. I think the him is the Antichrist, I think. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, Paul writes. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. So now we got a he that I thought was the Antichrist, but maybe it's the Holy Spirit. Or maybe God is restraining the Antichrist or the Holy Spirit is restraining the Antichrist. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. And with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. God loves everyone. He's trying to save everybody. But he says that there are people who are perishing because they don't love the truth. They don't want to hear it. And God can't do anything because God has tied his own hands. God has power. But he respects your choice. Is that something that you want to hear today? Is the calm Christian now guilty on Monday morning of wumping you over the head with the scriptures? Because I don't really want to do that. I just want to promote God. I want to promote Jesus. I want the Holy Spirit to speak to me in the silence. And I would like him to do the same to you. And I think that he wants to do that. He doesn't need my approval or help. I would like to think he might borrow my words. But God can speak to you any way he wants. But the question is, do you want to hear it? Verse 11, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false. God does this? God sends? God allows the delusion or God sends the delusion? Because I thought Satan is the one who sends the delusion. But it says God sends. So maybe does that mean God signs off on the delusion? Like Satan comes and says, hey, I want to delude the people who are perishing. God says, I don't like this, but I will allow you to do this. Because Satan has a certain measure of power. Right? All of Satan's power is really God's power. It's God's power that God loaned Satan. And now God is showing what Satan is really like. But because, because he is allowing Satan to use his, quote, gifts, unquote, to do evil things to people. In order that, verse 12, in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So when that Jewish comedian says everything is harder, is it harder because... God is leaving the earth en masse? Is that why it's harder? Or is it because people just don't really want God in their face? Like, God, get out of my face. I don't want you. I don't care if you're existing or not. I don't need you. I don't need what your Bible. I don't need your Messiah. I don't need anything from you. Just get out of my space. 
is that the attitude of most of the people? Like, don't you mention going to church? People, oh, you go to church. Okay. Hey, I don't want to go to church. I don't want some pastor telling me what to do. Hey, I don't want anybody telling me what to do either. I'd kind of like to work it out for myself. Thank you very much. I have my own opinions and my own choice. But God says, I want you to go there. I want you to get something from church. I want you to get something for you. Didn't he? He says that to me. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves. He didn't say anything about the day you go to church or whatever. He just said, just go to church, have corporate worship. It will help you. It will help your heart transformation. It's part of the process. It's part of the journey. You know, it says in Romans 1, Paul says in Romans 1, 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You know, the Jewish comedian, she's very funny, but she says, oh, you know, she got told by her friends that, hey, you know, she, she actually grew up in Kentucky, I think. She says, you know, oh, you're Jewish and, you know, God doesn't like you people. And she says, well, everybody killed Jesus. I mean, she said that. And then she makes a joke. She says, well, you know, uh, we all killed Jesus and Jesus died for all of our sins. So the Jews didn't assist. Then everybody in the audience laughs and she says, hey, you're welcome. Did you like how I brought the hockey thing, the sports reference into it? You know, somehow being Jewish, somehow God doesn't love the Jewish people, doesn't love her. You know, that's not true. God loves everybody because it says so. He says, salvation is available to everyone. doesn't matter if you're Jewish, like Jewish, Jewish, or you're a Gentile, you're non-Jewish. Because this is the New Testament. In the Old Testament, if you died on a cross, you were cursed. In the New Testament, I mean, dying on a cross is not pretty. But God used the ugliest event you can imagine where a man is suffocating where he's having edema in his heart. His heart cannot pump in his body. And so Jesus is suffocating in his own fluid. What a horrible, slow way to die. But the Romans were very good at what they did. They killed you and they like to do it slow. To send a message to anybody else, don't you dare cross us. Who, who, who signed off on Jesus? Well, the Jews brought him to um, Pilate. Um, and the Jewish comedian says, hey, we never, we didn't kill Jesus. We have no power to do anything. Remember, it was Pilate who did it. Yeah, it was Pilate who did it. It was everybody signed off on Jesus. We all kind of did it to him. Right? Isn't it sad, though? It says the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their righteousness suppress the truth. God, Romans 1 verses 18. And then it says in three places, Romans 1, 24, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, gave them up. God gave up on a person. God is pursuing us all. But does God ever give up on someone? Does God ever stop running after a person who realizes it doesn't matter what I do or say, this person doesn't want to hear from me? In the story of the prodigal son, the, the, the Gentile son came home. 
he came to his senses. And the father never went after him, but he was at the window every single day looking for his son. Right? And and somehow when that son rounded the corner before he was way off, the father runs out and says, you're, you're alive again. You're my son. He doesn't even care what he's done. The guy's got this planned apology and, and he says, just psh, be quiet. Hey, boys, we're having a party. My son was dead. Now he's back. And the other son is really ticked off. He says, I've been with you all the time. You never allowed me to throw a feast for my friends and that. And then the father in the story, which is supposed to be God, turns to his other son, which I guess is the Jewish nation and says, you, I know you were. Anything I have belongs to you. Where did you get this attitude from? We're throwing a party for the other guy, not because he's a wonderful dude, but because he's, he's back. He's my son, just like you are. Anything that I have belongs to both of you. Like it almost like he has to tell that son who never left. Doesn't he have to remind him, hey, hey, dude, you know what? Like you were always with me. Anything I have belongs to you. I've told that story to my son. I say, you know, anything I have belongs to you. What little I have. Don't touch my underwear. Okay. I'm not sharing that. My son look, looks at me and rolls his eyes. Don't touch my freaking underwear. I'll take you to Walmart. You can buy your own underwear. <laughs> That I'm not sharing. But everything I have belongs to you. You want to use my crappy computer? Go ahead. You got your own computer that's way better, but you can use mine if you really have to. Hey, you want to go retro? Use my crappy Dell from 2014. Even though you have a brand new computer. He never uses my computer, of course. But what I'm saying is, what do I have that I need to hold for myself? When you hit 16, you can drive my car. Just don't... Get yourself in an accident. And it also says in verse 28, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind. Isn't it sad if God has to give you up? Like, how, how patient is God? How well does he know you? He knows you inside and out. He knows you better than you know yourself. I, don't, I think it's a very sad day for God when he says, You know, I can't work with this person. I, I don't I don't know. God knows from the beginning from the end who's lost and who's saved. I don't I don't get all that. You know, I, I can't see the future. I'm just living my life sequentially. And I think there are many people in my own family that it seems like God just gave up on you, so I'm giving up too. I was reminded by Mark Driscoll, don't give up on your family members, don't give up on your friends. If you always go somewhere as a Christian and you're surrounded and people are arguing with you, then don't hang out with those people. But if they're still your family, if they're still people you care about, say a prayer for them in your heart. Forgive them and say a prayer because they don't know what they're doing. They're trying to fit their life around and make their life work without God. It, it will not work. God is relationship. God is life. God is the software of your heart. You can't make your life work on your own resources. It's kind of like a car that's running on empty. The car doesn't have gasoline, okay? The car was made for gasoline. Your heart was made for God. And then the car says, hey, I don't want the gasoline. I'll figure it out on myself. I'll try to figure out how to refuel myself. The car has the problem and it's trying to solve its own problem with itself. You know this is a solution that just won't go. God is standing at the pump saying, hey, come over here, Mr. Carr. I will fill you up with the gasoline you need so that you can live a happy life. 
so that you can go, 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 go like you want to. Car says, nope, I don't need you. And then everybody's offended now. Do you wonder why? How do you find happiness when the God who is happiness can't live in you or you swat him away like a fly and says, get lost, beat it, scram. I don't need religion and I don't need you. What is the God of perfection to do? Hang out? Yeah, I guess God does wait. He's, he does stay at the window. But if you never come back, what can he do? Remember Saul, the first king of Israel? Remember he had that battle and he was so afraid and he went to the to that witch, the witch of Endor? What a strange name. She had the same name as those as that planet Endor that them teddy bear guys had. The witch of Endor. You know those teddy bear guys in Star Wars? They were from a moon of Endor. I thought that was really, really weird and really, really coincidental. And he tries to go to a witch, a human being, and get help. And, and in the story, she raises the spirit of Samuel. Was it Samuel? I have no idea. Some people say that was a, a demon impersonating Samuel. And she called him up. So he came up from somewhere like where? And some people say, no, that was Samuel because it says the ghost of Samuel. It doesn't say, oh, uh, a demon impersonating a ghost of Samuel. Yeah, it doesn't say that. So I have no idea. Somebody said that even if it was Samuel, why would God let a, uh, a necromancer, a witch, disturb his true prophet? Where was the prophet? Did he come down from heaven? Was he, did he come from hell? What, like, why did he come up? Why didn't, he, why didn't she pull him down from heaven? It doesn't say that. I'm getting lost in the weeds. The point is, is that he got advice that he was going to die, and he did die. Did a demon impersonating Samuel just kind of guess, hey, based on the probability of your life, I would say you're on a downwards spiral and you should prepare for your death tomorrow. Because I might say that to somebody thinking, you know, I know what's going to happen to them and it does happen. Or maybe they, I don't know, they turn their life around and instantaneously it doesn't happen. I have no idea. Saul be believed the prediction and the prediction ended up coming true. He, he, he could no longer listen to God. He wanted God to talk to him in the story, but God wasn't speaking. Is it that God wasn't speaking or he could no longer hear God because in his life he had always tried to do things on his own volition, his own will. Isn't that sad? Many shall be offended. The Jewish comedian spoke a truth and comedians have a way of speaking truth but then making people laugh about it. That's why comedy is almost like the gospel. She said that it's harder to be anything these days. What do you think? Maybe it's harder to be a Christian too, but isn't it worth it? The path is narrow, there's turbulence, there's people trying to push you off the path. You, you might fall and stumble, but Jesus is in front and he turns around and says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Follow me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God bless you, every one of you.